Welcome to part two of our interview with my colleagues and friends, Kay Kennedy and Lucy LeClaire. Both of them are from U Leadership, but this week's session is going to be talking about their leadership program, their compassion for self program, and we'll be talking about measurement. So I'm looking forward to talking about the important things that they're doing in the work of healthcare. Absolutely. So that's, again, developing the assessment was a big part of our, what we considered our research process as well as our theoretical um, development process. And what the way we went about that was as we were able to identify the dimensions that you mentioned, the awakener, connector, and upholder, we, uh, through the thematic analysis of the using constructivist grounded theory, we, we were able to identify five attributes that are embedded within each of the three primary dimensions outside of it starts with you, the outward focus, those three dimensions. And so what we did, and I won't list all of those out for you because there are 15, obviously 15 attributes within the three primary dimensions. And so the way we developed the instrument was to look at the conceptual definitions for each of those attributes and identify questions that were very closely aligned with the conceptual definitions and created questions that would challenge the the leader to identify how well they align with each of those 15 attributes. So obviously the assessment is 15 questions and and asks the leader to self-assess on, I'll, I'll use one example, the awakener, the attributes under the awakener are, are the motivator. So we ask a question about how they motivate their team because the awakener, as Kay mentioned, is that person who awakens potential professional or personal. So the motivator, we ask a question about motivating. We ask a question in the assessment about coaching. The, the coach is under the awakener, the mentoring and we use we have an attribute under the awakener called the architect and we see that, that that's not a term that many people in nursing or healthcare really um, feel like it it aligns but it really does because as an awakener and the attribute being the architect you design um, structures that you put into place an invisible architecture if you will that allows your people your team members to be to be aligned with their passions and their goals and aspirations as a nurse or as a leader. So you're able to be an architect and design an invisible structure. So we ask a question about that. And an example of that would be designing shared governance or shared leadership structure at the unit level or at the hospital level, depending on where you are in your leadership journey. And then the final attribute under the awakener is the advocate. We ask about how as a leader, do you advocate and make sure that your team members have the resources they need to do their work at the point of care? So that's an overview of how we developed it. And then when someone takes that assessment, the way it's scored is that they'll have a primary dimension that is their strongest. For example, when I take the human-centered leadership assessment, my primary strength is being an awakener, is that professional development. I'm not a teacher. I'm an awakener. We awaken the potential in others. And my two complementary dimensions are the connector and the upholder. So, and, and that's just one example of how the results are. And then we reached out to you, of course, as an expert to help us validate the assessment. What, what I appreciate about that so much, Lucy, is 
In my experience of data management and research for 21 years, I was a staff nurse for 11 years before that. So I've been in nursing over 30 years. But in my experience of working with organizations around the world, it is often that organizations will use an instrument that has the title leadership assessment or some you know, generic type of assessment for leadership, but it isn't tailored for the content and the evolution that is occurring. So if you aren't assessing what you're teaching, you're using a misspecified model. And so what I appreciate so much about the instruments you have is it is specified for your program. So what they're teaching, it's called evolution of attractors. When, you, when you're taught something, it comes from the biology field. So I'm borrowing from that. But when an organism is put into an environment and has an understanding of how it is to live, it looks for the resources to make that happen. And so it it serves as a nice analogy to learning new content that once you're learning how you're to behave in this environment, that you look for those resources to make that happen. And that's what creates job satisfaction or not or dissatisfaction, because if you don't have the resources to be that kind of leader, it's very frustrating. So when you go into an organization and you're teaching these things, they're learning how to make that environment, that culture exist. So I think that's the power of your instrument is that you are measuring what you're teaching so that then we can assess is the um, adherence to and maturation within these concepts truly impactful on patient outcomes. We won't find that out unless we have a measure that is sensitive to detect what is being taught. So this was very important. Now, I just want to uh, brag a little bit about your instrument, if I may. And you've already done a nice job of stating how you carefully develop these items from your theory. And you've talked about how you develop that framework. So that's from a research standpoint, this is just absolutely fantastic. And it's rare in my experience. And so what I when when you called me and said, we need this to be further validated psychometrically, and I'm a psychometrician, the other different kinds of analytics that I do, and a psychometrician is someone that um, develops instruments and tests the psychometrics of it. And so, and it wasn't a large sample, so I had to be very careful in how I was evaluating for possible error, and I'm not going to explain all that because there's all sorts of procedures that are done for that. But basically what I did is I checked for, it was it consistently understood each of the, not only the instrument, but the dimensions. So what I appreciated about this is that there was these 15 items that I was testing for reliability and validity. And I wanted to understand if they not only understood the entire scale, the 15 items, but also did they understand the subscales as well. So if I wanted to evaluate, for example, the impact of being the awakener, how does that relate to different outcomes? How does being the connector relate to different outcomes? It's important that the subscales are reliable and valid as well. So we found that it was very reliable, which is very good. And this is a new instrument, uh, new instruments. Uh, 0.70 is acceptable, but you guys were over 0.80. 
And we did write this up, so I'm hoping we can get this published eventually. I think we want to do some replication as well. But then the other thing I did is I used factor analysis. I used different methods. I did use eigenvalues for those researchers out there, uh, which basically tells the instrument to sort of uh, do its own thing and to see if the items all hold together. And I found that all the items were valid in the subscale that you proposed, and the three subscales were all valid within that scale. So it ended up being a very good instrument, and the factor loadings were really good. So now you have an instrument that can assess the awakener, the connector, and the upholder and evaluate and help them and support them to make that, to advance that. So now we have a really good instrument to assess your program, the evolution of the staff, and I'm just so excited to eventually connect that to the patient outcomes and to the staff outcomes because the, the quadruple aim asserts that patient outcomes and cost are through the staff and the patient experience are through the staff, but it's important that the staff have a good experience and that is largely due to a good leader. So thank you so much, uh, Kay and Lucy, for providing such a nice review of your leadership program and for taking the risk to test your instrument, which ended up being very good, but I think it ended up being very good because you developed it so carefully uh, using theory and uh, research methods that resulted in a good instrument and that actually does test what you're teaching. So, so congratulations on all those concepts. But I want to talk a little bit about the other program you have on caring for self. And this is so important for managers, as you've stated in as it was well, the fourth dimension in your leadership mm -hmm. program, but also for staff, this post-COVID or almost post-COVID um, time we're living in, um, people are tired. Um, it's been a really rough year and a half globally. So these concepts that we're talking about have application globally. So talk to us a little bit about your Caring for Self program and how that came about and why you think that is important. Well, we kind of developed as we were thinking about the dimension of the upholder for the leader. And we recognize that the leader is modeling self-care, mindfulness, and these different self-practices to the staff for the purpose of them taking those same practices on for themselves. So we thought we really wanted to look at that specifically at this time because of the stress and just the impact that the pandemic has brought to our front line. So our program is really on that it starts with you part. We do have a big focus on what can be learned and how you can grow through the process of reflective journaling. We have a book that is a reflective journal that's called Shifts. And originally the idea of shifts was about thinking about your shift, the hours that you work. But as we got into that a little bit more, we realized that through reflecting journaling, your the goal is to make personal shifts, to shift the way that you see your life and your experiences and the way that you show up and react to things and how your reactions impact 
others and outcomes. So the Shifts Journal was really the impetus behind the new program that we uh, have developed that is for frontline staff. The program focuses on mindfulness-based stress reduction. It focuses on developing a practice of self-compassion, treating yourself with kindness. It focuses on self-awareness and how do you become self-aware? And then lastly, it talks about self-care and the idea that self-care is not an indulgence in taking care of yourself. It is a discipline and a practice that is required in order for you to show up as your best self. So we think that these things are so important in nurses being able to provide the care to patients that they desire to provide. And it's also required in order for nurses to feel good about what they're doing. And it should impact retention and engagement outcomes for the organization. I'll let Lucy just tell about maybe some of the things we're going to test, the outcomes pre and post, to look at the impact of the program for our frontline staff. Sure. Again, to echo a little bit of what Kay said is that the program is six weeks long designed for that frontline nurse to embrace self-care, self-compassion, self-awareness. And we also have focused on a kind of a subset of self-compassion, which is empathy depletion, which we've seen in our healthcare workforce in general, not just nurses. I mean, anyone who's in healthcare is feeling some depletion of their capacity to be empathetic. And, you know, empathy is essential to how we put ourselves in our patient's shoes. And when we start to feel numb to that, that's one of the biggest signs of burnout. All that to say, we really wanted to measure the impact of a self-care, self-awareness, mindfulness program. And so we are going to measure stress, perceived stress using Sheldon Cohen, Dr. Cohen's perceived stress scale. It's 10, 10 items validated for years and years and years. It's widely used and it's only 10 questions. So we can maintain the attention of our <laughs> audience. And then we're also going to measure self-compassion using Dr. Kristen Neff's 12 item validated self-compassion scale pre and post the program to measure the impact of this self-care program. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. And what I love about this is not only is it so timely for our world in healthcare within this COVID context, but in my international research, and this also is described in my book, Using Predictive Analytics to Improve Healthcare Outcomes, in the structural equation model, we looked at the impact of caring for self on having clarity of role and clarity of how the schedule works. We also looked at if they have a caring manager, how does that impact their clarity of role and system, specifically the schedule, how the schedule works. Then we also looked at how does clarity, caring for self, and caring of manager impact six dimensions of job satisfaction, three social and three technical. And what we found was that for clarity, caring for self had almost twice the impact on um, clarity than caring of the manager did, but both were 
very important. I don't want to state that, but it was interesting that caring for self of the three social dimensions of job satisfaction that we looked at, communication with manager, the relationship with the patient, and relationship with coworkers, caring for self had a statistically significant relationship with the relationship with the patient. So those staff who cared for themselves reported a better relationship with their patient. Um, so this is very important. And then we found caring of manager impacted uh, four of the six dimensions of job satisfaction as well. So caring for self is very important. It not only helps the staff have more clarity, which has implications for safety, all those things, but it also helps the dimension of job satisfaction, the patient care. And so that's why we're here is to improve the patient experience. And if they are caring for self, that that does improve the relationship with the patient. So I'm so pleased that you're doing this for staff and that your concept of caring for self is a main dimension in your leadership, because I think if we would have had a greater culture of caring for self pre-pandemic, I think that we probably would be in better shape than we are right now because we've had a big turnover globally. I hear of so many hospitals talking about the mass exodus of nurses because it was just too much for them. That's new nurses and senior nurses. And I think if we had understood the impact of caring for self, that we may not have had that same impact. The other thing I really like that you said, Kay, because I so believe this, is that you say it is a behavior they have to learn and it's a requirement they have to learn because caring is more than a, an emotion, it's an intention. And so uh, caring for self and others does require understanding of what that means, how it can be done, and then to figure out how to make that a part of your, your daily routine. So thank you for all of that. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about your program for caring for self? Well, I did just want to add one thing, and um, the way that our programs are set up is that we group people in cohorts of like, say, 25 people, could be less, but could be a little more, and that cohort goes through the program together, and they're able to share their learning, inspire each other, encourage, share stories. It's kind of like, you know, social media. The platform allows you to have that kind of interaction with people. So what we are providing for the self-care part for our staff, and we're even doing this for the leaders as well, is that we can join cohorts of people who are at the same place in life, say in their leadership journey, or who are in the same specialty in, in healthcare or in the front line. And we can bring together and create communities so that we can have ED nurses in California and New York in the same cohort learning together, learning about journaling together and about this process of self-care and self-compassion. So I think that, you know, there's this added excitement that I that we have about this mm -hmm. because we're creating community. We're building ties with people who have common passions and common goals. And I th I think there's nothing better than that. I mean it's it's mm -hmm. really awesome to be able to do that. 
That's really wonderful, Kate. So thank you so much for sharing that innovative idea of creating community by specialty. I think that there's really some, I mean, the, the palliative care community is so different than the intensive mm -hmm. care community, is so different than the burn community, uh, so there's, or, or public health. So there's so many different uh, communities that integrating self-care into one's life may look different operationally from community to community. So that's really, really helpful. So thank you for adding that. Can I add just one more thing about oh, the, the program that, that I think is value added is we've been able to, for the leadership program, as well as for the self-care program, is that now we're able to offer AACN approved continuing education for the nurses. Right. So that's a value add for that is wonderful. Good. Well, thank you for adding that as well. Now, for resources for our listeners, I want to talk a little bit about your book, but do you have a website or how might they contact you to talk to you more about your leadership program or your caring for self program? Our website would probably be the best, most direct way, and that is youleadership.com. Okay, and you, it's not Y-O-U, it's the cap, the letter It's the letter U. Letter U, yes. Letter yes. U and then L-E-A-D-E-R-S-H-I-P.com. Yep, that's okay, right. That's, that's great. You have all your contact information, you're all there, I Yes. Okay, that's great. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the other resource that they might consider evaluating, and that's your book. Tell us a little bit about your book and how that came about and sort of who that's intended for. Well, Human-Centered Leadership in Healthcare, Evolution of a Revolution, with love highlighted in there in the evolution part, if you see the visual of it, is really a reflection of, of all the research and experience that brings to life a theory, an approach, an idea that we all know exists, but now it puts a name to it. So the book was a way for us to reach a broad audience. And the way we designed the book was for the intended audience of nurse leaders who, for example, might have a CNO, chief nursing officer, might have an executive team and do a book club or a read with his or her team. And then we also designed it for academia because that's one thing I think you hinted on, John, earlier is that if we had been better prepared about self-care and recognizing our ability to influence others outward through awakening, connecting, and upholding by first caring for ourselves, if we did a better job of even teaching that in academia to our undergraduates and to our nurse um, leaders who are in master's or DMP programs, we would be much better served today. So our intended audience is also academia. So we're hoping that professors, nursing professors, will be able to use this as a guide because the book is also designed with um, each chapter has um, discussion questions, which are designed for that group environment, whether it's in a hospital executive team or nurse manager group or unit-based shared leadership council at the unit level or small group discussions in a an undergraduate BSM program to talk about um, these concepts. So there are discussion questions at the end of each chapter. 
And then there are also um, reflection questions, which are designed for the individual to be able to, as Kay mentioned, a, a big part of, of what we're about and what we believe in is reflective practice, which means learn from your experiences. So the reflection questions at the end of each chapter really do challenge the individual to reflect on experiences related to each chapter. And then we included a lot of resources at the end of each chapter as well. The the resources we used to write the chapter as well as recommended additional resources. And then we have crosswalks at the end of the book, which we have a crosswalk of human-centered leadership dimensions with the AAC and magnet outcomes. That's what we, we keep making that connection. And you say oh, it so beautifully, John, is that we're trying to answer. I call it the if the $2 million question is to figure out how we can connect leadership behaviors to outcomes. So we've done a crosswalk with magnet outcomes, as well as the Association for Critical Care Nurses Healthy Work Environment Assessment, which is highly validated in the literature as well. And we also have crosswalked throughout the book, the ethical concepts, the ANA code of ethics, because we believe that any leadership approach should be absolutely founded in ethical principles and guidelines and behaviors. And I think, again, the pandemic has brought forth so we have a playground of ethical issues in our leadership world, in our nursing world. So that's just an example of some of the crosswalks that we've done to try and make sure that we're being true to nursing and to the ethics that our profession is based on. Well, that's wonderful, Lucy. Thank you so much for that uh, good review. And I'm so pleased to hear that you're including it in academia. A study that I did that I published in 2017, I believe it was, where we looked at nurses who were trained in civility and not only trained in civility, but observed civility among their professors that both the learning and the observing had an impact on their ability to navigate bullies and mm -hmm. to enact a civil culture within their own unit after they graduated and started practice as nurses. So it needs to start in mm -hmm. academia. So thank you for, for mentioning that and for designing it so academia could use it as well. Well, I'm conscious of our time. I want to be honoring your time. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for this wonderful review of your leadership program and of your Caring for Self program, as well as your book. All of these resources and content is so important. And I would say to my network and co-researchers in my international research, if this is a program that you think we should study together globally, I would love to hear from you. And we could maybe look at how does leadership impact outcomes and the profile of the staff as we have been measuring and articulated in the book that we've published with Wiley Publishing. So, so thank you so much, Kay and Lucy. It's an honor to know you. It's an honor to collaborate with you. And I am so looking forward to our listeners being able to hear this um, session. So are there any closing remarks you would like to make for our listeners? I would just like to say, John, that we look very forward to working with you in the future. And we're just so thankful that we've been connected and that you're willing to share your expertise with mm -hmm. us. And we just look forward to the impact that our program can have in our chosen profession of nursing. 
Yeah, and I would I would add to that. Just thank you for the opportunity to collaborate. And I think casting the net wide and and far in a global perspective is is exactly what we're looking for because we I mean human centered leadership is global. It's not restricted to any geographic area. So we would absolutely really look forward to that that potential research to make those connections we've talked about. Thank you so much for joining our session today, The Science of Caring. We look forward to having you visit our site and looking at all of our different sessions of a variety of different clinical issues. Thank you so much.